Thank you, David, uh, Julia, uh, and your family. Uh, as we uh, have liked to do over this Advent season, I have different families come up and read the Scripture, light the Advent candles. And if you've been here the last couple weeks talking about Advent, uh, then, then you may know or you may remember that Advent uh, literally means uh, to wait. Uh, and it is, it is a season that, uh, you know, has gone through really the centuries of the church. And it, it first began, it's really interesting, I, I love uh, history, and I love Christmas, and so I love uh, the history of Christmas. Uh, but Advent came about that the people of God, and that would be us, uh, should take a season uh, really of waiting uh, in darkness, and this being the darkest time of the year, and there should be a focus on, on waiting for the Lord, uh, and then Christmas Day comes, and we would celebrate, and, and, and I've said this, that's actually where the 12 days of Christmas uh, came from, uh, that uh, in tradition, it starts Christmas Day and goes to Epiphany, and uh, as we, or at least I love now, now it's, you know, like the 30, 40, or 60 days before Christmas, and, uh, and we celebrate. Uh, but Advent's really tough to do, uh, traditionally, as it was intended. Uh, my wife and I have talked about this recently. And, you know, I talk to a lot of folks who struggle over Christmas. Uh, same thing happens every year. And the way, uh, the way Christmas is today for us, uh, it, it's very difficult to uh, really express uh, maybe feelings of disappointment in the year, in your life, uh, feelings of depression, uh, which, which do happen. I know, shocker, at Christmas. Uh, feelings of, of discontentment. And look, I was talking to someone who, who lost uh, someone very close. And they said, you know, it's, it's like you can't really openly share your waiting on the Lord because you feel like you'll look like a Scrooge to everybody around you. And, and Christmas, it like, you know, really ups the game uh, for us to like put on the mask and put the best foot forward out in terms of the parties and the cards and the decorations uh, and all that. And look, we, we have, and I think this, if, if you deny it, I, I'd say, I don't know how honest you're being, but, but there's this pressure of, you know, looking, uh, being our best, having, having the best Christmas. And it can be really tough. Uh, it can really be tough because, and that, that gets us into the pattern of, you know, feeling like, you know, well, we've got we've to do all this and it's just a rush and we can't really uh, experience uh, what we just sang about, uh, the true meaning of Christmas. And it's very difficult then to openly share uh, the struggles that we go through. So, you know, I'd, I'd love for you to try uh, the rest of the time up to Christmas, and I, I hope you've tried in the past weeks, uh, to really watch and wait on the Lord. Uh, that's what we're saying here in Advent uh, this theme is watching and waiting. Again, that ties directly to the meaning of Advent. But would you watch and wait for the Lord? Here's what I mean in that. Uh, would you question God? Would you say, Lord, you know, where are you in, in this situation that is bringing about uh, either conflict or hardship? Uh, where are you, Lord, in, in this thing? And look, it can be for a student. Uh, it can be for a married couple. It can be for uh, adults. Uh, where are you in, in this thing that I don't have? And I'm not talking about Christmas gifts here. Uh, but maybe that's something to do with your career. 
Maybe it's something to do with the relationship. Maybe it has something to do with a recent death. Where are you, Lord, here where I don't feel the, the joy of this earthly uh, life uh, and world uh, because of this loss? And all of us have losses. Okay. Where are you? What are you saying, Lord, in this? What are you saying, Lord, in my darkness, in my dark places? What's your meaning of this? Better, better question might be, what would you have of me, Lord, in this situation? What would you have me, Lord, in my life? What would you have of me, Lord, in this Christmas season? What would you have of me, Lord, in Christmas Eve? How should I respond to uh, those that I, I love the most here on earth? Watch and wait. And in that watching and waiting, when we watch and wait, uh, we do question. We're like, where are you, Lord? Why are you doing this, Lord? What's your plan here, Lord? Uh, I'd love for you to try uh, to do those things. Uh, now, why would, that, why would I ask you that? Why would that be? Because I, I do believe that when we question, when we question, we are moving closer to the Lord, whether we realize it or not. Uh, now, I'm not just saying that as an opinion. I'm saying that as biblical truth. Because if you look through all of Scripture, uh, you see these men and women who were close with God and growing closer with God constantly, consistently, peppering him with questions. Uh, we see it in Abraham. Why are you calling me there to go where I'm not comfortable uh, how can that be? I could have a kid at like 98, 99. We see it in his wife, Sarah. Same questions. We see it with Moses. What are you doing, Lord? Why do you want to um, lead us in this direction? What are you doing with these people, Lord, who are driving me nuts? Uh, we see it throughout the Psalms of David. We see it in the prophets, uh, from Isaiah to Jeremiah. We see it in the disciples, uh, from Peter to Paul. Uh, so often, uh, you know, our world does not like questions and does not like questioners. We like answers. And actually, in our part of the world, we really like answers. And we tend to doubt those who question. It's like, they don't really have it together. They're not solid. But I would, I would argue, I mean, those who are constantly questioning God are growing uh, in their walk with him. And they're growing closer uh, to the Lord. And so today we, we see uh, some questioners by nature, the wise men. You're like, well, how did they question? Well, the wise men, uh, you know, they were known as uh, not just questioners, but skeptics, uh, seekers. Uh, they were seeking. Uh, they were, as the word says, uh, wise. Uh, but uh, more so than that, they're, they're thought to be like, uh, philosophers, uh, mathematicians, uh, like some of you, I mean, I wasn't good at math, but astronomers uh, from uh, far away, from the east. Uh, why first did Matthew include them here? If you heard me say a couple weeks ago, you know, each of the gospel narratives, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, tells the same story to a different group of people. And so Luke, as we've been looking at Luke the last couple of weeks, and will next week again, uh, Luke was a physician. Uh, he was writing to Gentiles, which is like everybody else uh, besides Jews, and giving some pretty thorough details, the most detailed description of Jesus' birth. But Matthew was writing to the Jewish people. 
So he intentionally includes this story about the wise men. Why? Well, because they were from the east, so they were non-Jewish. They were probably, uh, most scholars think they were from, at at that point, land called Persia, uh, which is today Iran, maybe even further east. Uh, They were different racially, culturally, and this was Matthew saying to the people of the Old Testament that God is doing something new, uh, and bigger than any of you ever imagined uh, for the whole world, uh, for people that would come from far off places, that he is bringing together a new family that break down, breaks down walls of, of race, of class, of culture, of language, of ethnicity, all of it, leading them to the Christ child, uh, to Jesus. So they were, they were questioners, again, seekers, skeptics, and and I believe in this passage, uh, for us, uh, we can see three things. Uh, We can see the search of questions, we can see the conflict of questions, and we can see the result of questions. The search of questions, the conflict of questions, and the result of questions in the story of the wise men. You know, verse one, uh, very simple Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea in the days of King Herod. Wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem. Wise men came from the east and they had been searching. Uh, what might the search of questions, might the search in questions, uh, tell us about ourselves? Uh, I want to do this today, uh, share a little bit about uh, my life uh, beliefs. I have, uh, have four things on my, my work table in my office. I mean, I have papers and stuff like that, and I have a Bible, by the way, on my my desk. But I have like four uh, things that mean a lot to me uh, that different people have given me that directly ties in to this idea about questioning and searching and seeking. Uh, The first, I'm going to show you, not everybody can see it, but uh, I like to just have something. This is a uh, a rock, uh, a rock that a mentor gave me, and it has three words on here. It says, you're not crazy, okay? And I have that front and center on my desk. Uh, and trust me, uh, things that, uh, that I have gone through uh, and go through and, and will go through, I need to look at this pretty much every day, uh, at least once a day. Uh, from things I hear, from things I think, from ways I'm attacked. I mean, we have an adversary. You're not crazy. Uh, and I think back to the wise men uh, about their, their life and their questions and their seeking. And I would, I don't know for a fact, but thinking about how they were, uh, I could presume that it was said often about them, you are nuts, uh, you're crazy. I mean, just to, to go off, I mean, even if they're from present day, like I said, uh, Iran, and I like geography and looking on maps and stuff, to get from there to Jerusalem, you know, and and no planes, trains, automobiles, all of that, uh, to, to go, folks would say, you know, you're nuts, you're, you're crazy. I mean, why can't you just uh, sit in peace uh, with your books or gaze up at the stars? But they kept going. Often you have to hear, often you have to hear from the Lord, you're not crazy. Uh, keep pushing, keep going, keep questioning, keep seeking. And I would say, and I, and I talk to a lot of folks who do question, both in this church and outside this church, you're not crazy. 
You're not nuts. Now, I mean, the world may say you're nuts, okay, or crazy, okay? I mean, there are different ways that, but I would say every person, and this is really important, every person here, every, every person in the world is an image bearer of God. That's a biblical truth. Whether you confess and believe in Christ or not, you're an image bearer. And there are things that are happening to you right now and have happened in your life that have made you who you are. And those are real, those are valid, those have formed you and shaped you and led you to some of the questions that you have. And I do believe God provides answers, but you're not crazy in where you are uh, in asking those questions, in seeking I hope you seek the Lord, but sometimes folks will not seek the Lord. And I'd still say, you're not crazy because of these things that have happened in your past and in your life. But I do believe, I see a big God. If nothing else, I see a big God. And I know that he can work a lot more than me or any worship service or anything we do here. And I believe that he's leading, I believe he's leading every, every human being. I have faith in that. Uh, something else that I have uh, that's tied to this. Uh, is a quote uh, on this little, uh, I guess it's a paper holder. But it's from one of my heroes. Uh, some of you know this uh, is a hero, Winston Churchill. Uh, but it's also very simple. Never, never, never quit. Never, I love it, he says it three times. Never, never, never quit. Just think about the wise men. Uh, they traveled across uh, pretty barren terrain, deserts. Uh, they could have easily, easily turned around. Uh, they did not quit. Uh, the disciples, well, back the prophets of old, uh, those who came to know Jesus, the disciples, the church, has never, never, never quit uh, in the Lord's power through his work. I would encourage you to never, 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 three times quit, questioning uh, I say that because if I believe that as you question, you're growing, then I want everybody that, that's in, and I think this is biblical, everyone that's in my care as pastor to be going on an upward trajectory throughout their life. So for me in my life, you know, I, my grandmother just had her 90th birthday. I would love to see 90, but I'd love at 90 to be, you know, closer to the Lord than at any other time in my life and to be going on this upward trajectory of growth and as you learn, as you grow, you're going to continue, should, to grow deeper. I mean, I think the gospel, and not the four gospels, but the gospel truth, I mean, it's literally on this, on this side of heaven, uh, it is like the tip of the iceberg. And you could keep drilling down over and over to experience and know the gospel. So I would really encourage you to never, never, never quit uh, just as uh, the example we see, if you come to know the Bible and see the Bible, uh, those who follow the Lord do. Uh, something else, it's a, I uh, can't really see this, but uh, it's a globe. It's a little crystal ball. It's the world. And there's a holder on it that says John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Uh, again, I've already alluded to with the wise men, Matthew is showing to all of us God loves the world. It's not... Uh, this chosen set or tribe of the Jewish people, uh, it's for all, the church is to be all the world. And so I question a lot in that, and I don't question things like, well, how could God love all the world and different people? I don't question that. I question, like, how can we reach all the world? 
yeah, how can we, in this little church, in this little corner, how can we reach all the world? Uh, and as Rachel said, joining, how do we start locally uh, with neighbors? That I have a passion to see this place connect with a lot of different neighbors here that need to have an experience uh, of seeing Christ and seeing his family. I question, how can we serve this city uh, in a better way? How can we serve the poorest of the poor in this city? Uh, a couple of us uh, did Turkey Day uh, the week of Thanksgiving to deliver turkeys, a few families. Uh, and some of us went to this home uh, that was, I'm trying to think of a good word that could, that could really do justice to how it was without being demeaning at the same time to the condition that these folks live in. Uh, but it was, um, it was really, really rough. It was really rough. It was pathetic to see that people live like that. And not, it's not on them, okay? And we went to this home, and like, uh, I think it's eight kids. Um, I mean, it was just, it was, it was just bad. It was bad. Um, Ted Duckworth, uh, one of our elders here, we were talking about, you know, one thing we could do, you talk about, you know, just locally helping is just adopt that family and try to care for them. That's one thing. So my question is, you know, how do we care for them, one family, or families like that. Uh, the, the poorest to the poor, frankly, that I've seen in Jackson, Mississippi, and there's some poor folks in Jackson, okay? But that is the poorest that I've seen, the poorest living conditions that I've ever seen. How, how can we just help them? God obviously led us there. But then I also think, well, we also have global partnerships, and if God so loves the world and he's opened those doors, how can we uh, help connect pastors uh, in Honduras to one another? We're part of a network, Acts 29. How can we help connect them? How can we expand our ministry in India? I'm always questioning this. And I think when you question, you grow. And so in this earthly life, we're going on that trajectory. How can we do more and more uh, for the kingdom? And yes, God's going to God that need us. He can do it all. But he gives us drive. He gives us passions. He gives us interests. And I believe that we're to follow uh, those four his kingdom. Uh, last thing I'd share is, uh, and this is most important, but it's a, uh, it's a compass. And I set it up, it's a compass, and a compass shows uh, direction. It shows direction, like the star. Sailors of old, maybe sailors of today, use the stars uh, to navigate as a compass. And the compass uh, will lead you in the right direction. So all of us, as I saying, all of us have our north, our north star. And that's to, to guide us where we want to go. What's your north star? Uh, for, for me, for, it's Christ. Uh, but I think in our questions, our questions are always, um, we want to go in a direction. The reason we ask questions is because we want to go in a direction. I have a, it's really simple. I think all questions are rooted in every human being's desire to go in the right direction for a home home, a place. And I'm not talking about if you're born into a great home. I'm talking about a place of you feel this innate sense of connection and that love, and you're like, I am not alone. And if I lost everything, I would have them. Not most of all of our questions are directed to getting us a place 
or we feel stable, solid, safe. And the direction here for the wise men led them to the Christ child. And I would say for us, so much of our questioning, our seeking, is to find that home. And maybe, maybe your home is like a great career. Maybe your home is a couple houses. Maybe your home is several trips. Maybe your home is being a professional athlete. Maybe your home, it's like where you find, like I am in. This is it. Maybe your home is doing a great ministry thing. Maybe your home is being revered by your peers. That's the, the questions lead us in that direction where we feel most secure. And like the old hymn goes, I mean, may the things of this world uh, grow dim uh, because we, we're the ones that really light them up. But home is found in Christ. And a family, the true family, the eternal family, is found in Christ. So the search for questions, those are some things that it shows in us. Okay? Now the conflict of questions is different. So like I said, it's talking about the conflict of questions. Because questions always lead to conflict. And we see this most often in this passage to Herod. I know, not a great guy. If you read through uh, Matthew 2, he does some bad, bad stuff. Okay? That's not the passage we're referring to today. But Herod uh, initially had conflict. Because the wise men came and said, where's the star? They asked a question. Where is he that's been born king of the Jews? And Herod uh, was very troubled. He was disturbed, it said, verse 3. And it says, all Jerusalem with him. There was conflict. So there's another king? Because we thought that, you know, we had it all figured out. And Herod's like, I thought I was king. There's another, there's another king? It leads to uh, this conflict. And so Herod goes on and, and asks them questions uh, to try to uh, help his own internal conflict to make himself feel better. Uh, but for us, when we question, there's going to be this conflict. In questions, there is natural conflict, okay? First off, others are going to always question you. Always. There's going to be somebody out there that questions you. Why are you doing that? You know, what are you talking about? And I would say even here, if you, if you begin a real, and I'm going to emphasize that, real, so not fake, a real journey with the Lord, a real walk with the Lord, and you start doing things that you would not, you know, that, that are different from your life, uh, so, so you don't take um, maybe that planned trip or second trip or third trip or, you know, maybe you do go on a mission trip or, or maybe uh, you give of time that you might go to a holiday party and you serve a family in need in the poorest of poor conditions. I mean, people aren't going to criticize that, but if you keep moving, okay, in a direction of, of growth and you engage in uh, Bible studies or small groups, uh, there are going to be some folks, man, what are you doing? I mean, if you take a stand for Christ, even here, you know, in the buckle of the Bible Belt, I mean, folks saying, what are you doing? Uh, yeah, maybe, you know, if you're led to go into the ministry, man, what? I mean, I had a, I mean, one thing in my life, I, uh, when I began telling some, some folks, and they're dear people, but a few folks, and I was like, you know, I'm going to be a pastor. I mean, it was like, I mean, can't you do anything better with your life? People are going to question you. And there's going to be conflict in that. I believe God can bring peace. And the more you draw near to him and the more you question, like, God, what are you doing? 
I need you. I need you to show. I need you to show me. God will bring peace when others question, and that conflict is in there. God will question you too, and God will bring conflict through those questions. So maybe you're living outside uh, the places or the boundaries that He wants you to be, and He will say, "What are you doing?" Where are you going with your life? Why are you acting this way? Why? And, and that doesn't mean, you know, naturally we go to uh, the drunk or the addict or the womanizer or the adulterer or the guy that just is cheating so many business deals. No, maybe it is like the person that like looks so good and then God moves in with those questions. What are you doing? What do you, I mean, you really think All these toys are going to add the value that you seek to your life? You really think this is going to be like your home? And that, uh, those questions produce a conflict that can, if we hear them, if we feel them, move us to conviction. God's questions should lead us to conviction to be convicted of something new, something dynamic, real life, uh, real world. That world that does include heaven and hell and uh, a plan and purpose in our earthly life uh, that will continue through eternity. should bring conviction. And then the other conflict that the questions uh, bring about is, and we see these here in Herod, because Herod has this conflict of, and he's disturbed, There's another king. So questions that God God asks of us sometimes becomes questions we ask of ourselves. So sometimes we'll hear God's question, then we'll then we'll ask questions of ourselves, like, you know, well, why doesn't why doesn't my degree of wealth bring me happiness? Why doesn't my degree, and there are various degrees. A degree of accumulations bring me the peace and the joy that I seek. Why does it not? Some of you have been there. Some of you may be there. Uh, why does it this career that, that I was so set, why is it not bringing the fulfillment that I thought? And so these questions of ourselves, so God leads to conviction, and then these questions lead us to clarity. That whatever that is, it's not all that. And a clarity that there is something, uh, there's something more important. Yes, I mean, it's, to use a cliche, but it's the truth. Sunday school cliche, it's Jesus. Use a Sunday school cliche, but it's the truth. It's his kingdom. You bring real clarity. And I think some of you are asking those questions now. But then questions do have a result. And, and the last part of this, so if there's a, there's a search and if there's conflict there, we do see in this passage the result of questions. And there's always uh, a result when we are questioning the Lord. There's always a result. And that result may not be the answer you seek, but it may just be God showing up. And you beginning to feel him and grow close to him. So the, the result is, is very clear. First, the result uh, is the star. Is the star. It says, you know, the star guided them. Uh, it says, verse 9 here, after hearing the king, they went on their way, and there, I love this, I love Matthew, and there it was. 
And my Bible has a, a dash beside it. There it was. The star they had seen at its rising. And I love this uh, latter part of the verse. It led them until it came and stopped. I love that. It said it stopped above the place where the child was. I say that the result of questions is there is, uh, in the realm of, in the world of Christianity, of, of the church, of Jesus, uh, there are guides. In this story, the guide is the star. It led them. And then it stopped where Jesus was. So the result of your questions, hopefully, is either one or two things. Either you will have a guide come into your life. Or you will be a guide for someone else. So here, and I don't know if you have a guide or if you are a guide, and I think that, as a Christian, is one of the worst places to be because you're isolated. So a guide could be called also a mentor. Uh, Disciples always disciple others if they're a true disciple. And so I would say that. Do you have a guide? Do you have, kind of cliche-ish, but it's a star that's leading you. And then you know it's a good guide when sometimes it says, stop here. Stop questioning here. All your answers are here in the Christ child. I love it. It stopped there. Do you have a man or woman in your life that say, stop here? This is where it rests in Jesus. Or if you're saying, you know, I don't really question, I don't have any problems. Well, then are you a guide? Are you guiding? Are you willing to say, stop here? This is, this is where you stop. The result of questions should be finding a guide or becoming a guide that leads people to Jesus. Uh, And then more results for the wise men. The star led them to place their guide that the Lord sent, led them. I mean, the star is not Jesus. It's just a star. It's a created being. But then the result, it says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced. I say this too. So, this is before they're rejoicing at Jesus, which they will do. But that feeling of rejoicing when you're like, I mean, I know I got a guide, I got a mentor. I got a person that is pouring into me. I got a guy who will say stop. Or a lady who will say stop here. Who will walk with me in the dark times, in the places where I'm waiting and watching and questioning. And there's joy in that. That I can pick up the phone at any hour and call them. There's joy in that. I want every person in here to have this joy. I want us to just, every person in here to be discipling someone and growing. That's really the, the plan of the church. But they have this joy. They enter the house. They saw the child with Mary's mother. Falling to their knees, they, they worshiped him. Wasn't a band there. You know, I, I don't know if the wise men could sing or anything. I don't know if they did sing. But here, this, this worship is about all of life. And we get caught up in, look, we get caught up in, uh, in sound and in, in songs and in music. And that is a vital part of worship. And to do it well, to give honor to the Lord. But worship is all your life. And worship should continue as we walk out those doors. And people can see us and say, you know, they're worshiping Jesus with their actions, with their words. Uh, with being a guide, 
Uh, worship is all of life. And it's also a result, it's a result of meeting the Christ child. If the questions lead to where it stops in Jesus, the result is, should be worship. Should be natural worship. Should be worship where you're not worried about what people think of you. Should be worship whether you can sing or not sing. Should be worship of like going out in a boldness and in a serenity to this world. Say, I worship Jesus. I worship Jesus. There's worship and there's gifts. There's the giving of gifts. And uh, most of us, I mean, I know I do, we love receiving gifts. We love giving gifts. And you know, it's said, they really don't think the wise men were rich. Okay, um, but they gave their best. They gave their best. Gold, frankincense, myrrh. And so, you know, often you can read this passage, well, I'm, you know, not wealthy, what, what can I get? We give our best. We give our best to the Lord. When he's the result of all the questions that we ask, and he is, he's the one that we're seeking. And then also the result, I love this, and this easily missed, but there are no accents in Christianity. There are no accents in Scripture. The last verse, being warned in a dream not to go back to here, they returned to their own country by another route. Uh, the deal with that is, that happened after they met Jesus. Did you catch that? Um, like before, it was the guy, the star. They meet Jesus, and they worship him, and then they receive a word that says, go this direction. I say that because when you meet Jesus, like when you really meet Jesus, when you're worshiping him, when you're giving of him, that is when you dis- receive the direction that you need. And having for the wise men. He didn't get that before Jesus and their wand. They had a star, had a guide. Then they meet Jesus. They stop there. And then the Lord's speaking to them in a new way, in a different way, after they met Jesus. So I'd, I'd close with this, uh, a few thoughts. Uh, one, what are your questions? Uh, I hope this is a place where no one is ever fearful to admit that they have questions, that they do questions, or to try to communicate or articulate those questions. I would say the questions we have of Advent, where are you, Lord, in the dark times? What are you doing here, Lord? Those are the questions of life. And so Advent is a time, the season leading to Christmas is also a season of distilling our watching and waiting on the Lord in our life. And I would say, I mean, all our questions are answered in Jesus. Don't just take my word for it. Let me read you a Bible passage. This is 2 Corinthians. You don't have to go there. If you're writing notes, you should. Uh, if you do write notes, you should write this. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 19 through 22. Paul writes, says, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, did not become yes and no. Those are answers, yes, no. On the contract, On the contrary, in Jesus, it is always yes. For every one of God's promises is yes in Jesus. Therefore, through him, we also say amen to the glory of God. It is God who strengthens us together with you in Christ, who has anointed us. He has put his seal on us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a down payment. Uh, The questions you have, I believe all life's questions can be answered in Jesus, and all those answers are a yes. Uh, yes, I made you. And that's, you say, that, well, is that God or Jesus? Well, Jesus is God, and Jesus is our creator. Yes, I made you. Yes, I chose you. It's biblical. Yes, I love you. Yes, I came to you. 
Yes, I died for you. Yes, I have a plan for you. Yes, I will come to you again in physical appearance. Uh, Yes, I am with you when you watch and wait. You know, if if we had to come up with a plan where we would want 75% of all the world uh, to know about us and 25% of all the world to believe in us, uh, we would not choose the plan that God chose uh, to be born uh, basically in uh, yeah, is a cave and an animal stall where basically animals uh, relieve themselves and really had no titles, positions of influence, no connections uh, business-wise, political-wise, academic-wise, and then to be brutally killed uh, and discarded and yet now, 75, I mean, as of today, all, in all the world, 75%, not 100, so like all the world still needs to know, 75% know about Christ. Uh, most of Western civilization, civilization has been influenced and formulated by his teachings. 25% of all the world believe in him. I mean, what a plan. What a God. All of our, all of our questions are really looking for him, and all our answers are found in him. And so I would say today, as we close and we come to take communion, uh, I don't know how you see communion. I try to reiterate this, but all of our questions are really um, centered in communion. What do you mean by that? I mean, it's not something to come to at church. Uh, No, uh, most of us fear death. I know I question, like, why death or, or why now? And communion, we bear witness that the Lord... That's him saying, I died died for you. I bled for you. Uh, Most of us question when we're alone or loneliness or why do I have to be alone? And yet communion, we come down and we know that everybody deserted Christ. I mean, basically it was his mom and John was taking care of his mom. Everybody deserted him. And so you come to communion, the question of why, and you have the answer of like, well, you know, I experienced this for you. And the question of purpose, like what's my purpose here? Centered in communion. The body and blood of Christ for you. Do you receive it? Do you accept it? Uh, It's centered in receiving, in accepting. And you can either do that for the first time or do it every time, which I do. And, yeah, continue to ask sometimes as you pray. Let me say this. Uh, if If you ask questions, if you're here and you're like, I have questions, then I would say keep asking, keep seeking. Because I believe you're going to grow closer to the Lord and the Lord is going to reveal himself to you in powerful and miraculous ways that we cannot dream or fathom imagine in his time. And then there's some of you who say, well, I don't have any questions at all. Then I would question you. Does your life reflect the results that was just shared? As in like the gift giving. You give your best or second best. Do you worship truly? Or you're like, well, you know, I come to church. I'm ready, kind of ready to take off. But you say you have no questions. Joy? Are you a guide? Do you have a guide? Do you have the conviction? If you say you have no questions, then do you have the conviction that uh, the kingdom that we all build, and I've aspired to build it, uh, is, is not... 
it's not going to do it. But there is another kingdom, a true kingdom. And it's an answer. It says, just let me sit on the throne. And that's God. And you get down off your throne. And you say, sit here. And I worship you. And that brings the joy that we're looking for. And it's going to allow you to give the gifts that you never imagined to him and his kingdom. That's the center of our questions. It's here at communion. I encourage you to take it. We're going to pray. So please pray together. Heavenly Father, um, I, just, I pray for those who question. I pray that you give them hope. That, that in questioning, uh, you're going to make yourself real to us even more. And that we are growing. I pray for those who say, I have no questions. And I, then I pray that they would either uh, be a guide and reflect even more uh, the joy that you give. And be convicted. Be convicted more and more for your kingdom. Be convicted about uh, how to reach the world, neighbors and nations. And trust in, in your plan and trust in that you're a big God. And those are just words that do no justice to your, to your work, to your, to your size. Uh, I pray for those struggling. I pray that they can be real. I pray that we be a community that receives them. I pray every Sunday we do more to take off the mask. I pray more that Christmas is made more real this, this year than any other. As we watch and wait, we'd see you uh, just more and more. Uh, your plan, your presence uh, in our life uh, for individuals here, for this community, for this city. And it's in Jesus' name. All these things are possible. And centered in what we're about to do. Amen.